probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome back to the Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Rob Kelly from Superman Movie Minute. Thanks for making it back. Thanks for having me back. This is... It, oh boy, things are getting fun now. Yeah, I mean, ba- we're basically about to sit through yet another minute of like, you know, just... <laughs> You know, blood test after blood test, nothing's happening. So I lot appreciate of talking, you coming. A lot of needles. I really appreciate you coming on for this incredibly dull moment of uh, of uh, the thing. <laughs> I'm proud to serve. <laughs> so uh, today we're talking about minute 83 of the thing, which begins with uh, Nalls looking back at the corpses of uh, Clark and Copper, and ends a minute later with some uh, blood, sentient blood moving across the floor. So we can guess that something happens. Something pretty major happens in uh, in between those sixty seconds, so it's a it's an interesting one. So um, so we start the minute with uh, he's as he mentioned uh, yesterday, uh, McCready is going to test Copper and Clark, which um, I guess is just a uh, I, like I don't really know his motivation for testing them first. Like, given that I mean I guess he thinks that there's a chance they could still be infected and they might attack them because he ties them up, which we talked about last week. How kind of silly that actually is, <laughs> like. How I don't know that that rope's actually going to do anything, but um, yeah, I think I don't know if I was in McCready's situation, I think I'd be testing the people I'm most suspicious of first. Um, and you know, there's nothing really to say that Copper was infected or and Clark, you know, I would already kind of assume was not infected given that he tried to shoot him instead of trying to assimilate him. Like to me, the thing doesn't typically just attack to kill people. But uh, yeah, so I think I'd be going for you know somebody like Gary or or, uh, or Palmer who you know they they're they're pretty suspicious at this point if I'm in McCready's situation. Yeah, it's true. And I I obviously don't know if if it was done this way for an effect or it's just accidental. But you know, at a certain point, McCready kind of does become um, the un you know like the the hero of this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. he's the guy that's that's clearly taking the proper action and and. He's tough and he, you know, he's the one who's going to ultimately defeat the thing, sort of. (laughs) But um, at least here, like he's kind of just making it up as he goes. And so I kind of like the idea that you're right. It would make more sense to do it differently. But he's he's probably exhausted. He's not thinking completely straight and he's just kind of thrown it all together. So you could you could see that maybe he's not, you know, he's not doing it the way he should be doing it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess lack of sleep and, and you know, maybe shock from everything else that's going on, too. Like, I think it's pretty understandable to not be thinking perfectly straight in this situation. So <laughs> that's yeah, certainly they don't a get part any of it. sunlight. They're probably not eating very well. You know, like they don't I don't get a sense these guys get a lot of exercise. So, yeah, they're probably pretty worn down, not to mention the fact they're being attacked by a giant monster. Yeah, I mean, I'll throw that on top of the mix and then, you you know, you've got some pretty. <laughs> Pretty uh, possibly delusional uh, dudes hanging around here. (laughs) Um, So he tests. uh, We test Copper's first, which again 
uh, uh, well, uh, nothing happens. So we, now we've had three blood tests where, you know, literally nothing has happened whatsoever. Um, and then it's, he, he moves on. You can tell McCready is a little bit kind of like, he's still pretty confident, but he's a little kind of thrown that, that he maybe expected that one, something to happen. And then, uh, then he moves on to, uh, Clark's who it seems like he really expects Clark's to do something, you know, just based on the fact that Clark was, you know, I guess he was the one that Blair told him to watch that he was real close to the dogs and that, you know, Clark attacked him obviously, which again, to me, doesn't really clue me in that he's a thing, but more so just that he doesn't trust McCready, which, you know, you could say the same thing about Childs too, but, um, so, but yeah, he seems pretty certain that, that Clark's blood is going to react. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Clark is definitely the, the weirdest acting guy of the group. I mean, you <laughs> he's know, he's a podcaster. Uh, he's a podcaster. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Clark would definitely be doing a podcast. If he was still alive. Had he not been shot in, in the head by McCready. But uh, but yeah, I mean, he's he's purposely put there to be the 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 guy who's attracting attention away from the other mm-hmm. things, you know, because he does seem so. I mean, and Mazer, Richard Mazer plays it so perfectly just the, that kind of monotone that he gives i mean even when the shit is hitting the fan you know he is just kind of talking in this kind of very low kit you know and you're like god dude you're gonna get excited about anything <laughs> crazy shit is happening so yeah i was it's, it's a great decoy good good job uh, bill lancaster most definitely and so you know even though we've had three failed tests at this point you really expect something to happen with Clark's because, you know, he, like you said, he was acting kind of strange and, and McCready definitely seems certain that something's going to happen. So we're really expecting, uh, expecting that blood to react. Although, you know, at this point you don't know what's going to happen when it does react still, whether, you know, it's going to be some giant monster or, or, you know, I, I, again, I'd love to know what I was thinking watching this for the first time, because I, you know, like these guys in the actual movie, I just, I, I can't imagine what I expected to happen w- when the blood finally did react. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned in the previous episode, what, a, how great it would be to go back and watch this movie for the first time again. And yeah, I see, I see scenes like this. I'm like, but what this would be like to experience all over again, <laughs> it would be so cool to not know what's about to happen in this scene it would be so fun. Yes. It's, it's definitely I think it's it's the scariest part of the whole movie just just because uh, even knowing what's going to happen, it still makes me nervous watching the scene. Just just knowing that, you know, because and, and up until I started watching this obsessively for the podcast, every time I would watch this, I'd forget whose blood was going to jump out. I, I, I would genuinely not really remember. I knew I knew around when it would happen. And you and knowing kind of the trick uh, of, you know, the way they kind of play off Palmer's uh, Palmer's test with kind of talking right before they do it really, you know, I, I always, I know it's about to happen then, but like up until that point, you know, uh, I wasn't always sure when it was going to happen. So it's, you know, because it, there's so many tests that they do. It's like, it's just such a masterful scene just cause there's so it's, there's so many failed tests and there's so much building up to it. Whether you, whether you start to believe that the test is not going to work because everybody else around you is saying like, ah, oh, this test is nonsense. It's bullshit. Uh, and then it finally happens. <laughs> is this uh, is this the only minute that that you would say that we are for at least a second like completely in the shoes of Nalls? Because we get the two shots of him looking at the corpses and looking back. Nall, I mean, of all the twelve characters, Nalls is definitely like one of the lesser ones, sure. just in terms of like how much screen time he gets and whatever. And and I feel like we do see him by himself when he's playing, you know, playing uh, superstition. 
but like nothing's happening there. Right. So we're not we're not really thinking of like getting into his head. But this is I feel like this is the only scene we get of Nas where we are him for, you know, he's the audience because we're just terrified as to like what's going to happen. Am I going to end up like those guys on the pool table? What like I feel like that's that was like T.K. Carter's moment. You know, we're we're like the audience. We are totally in his shoes. It's a great shot, and and he uh, he plays this scene pretty excellently. You know, he, you really get a sense of how scared he is, and I mean, like you say, you're you're really almost from his perspective in a lot of ways from that shot. But you almost get that with all of these guys with these close ups you get of them, and um, you know, we've kind of talked about it in previous minutes that I love that the way the movie sets it up so that you know each character is kind of like a different personality of how you might, you know, you personally mm-hmm. might react to, to what's hap- what's, you know, this situation like Childs is like, okay, if I was going to be the guy who got angry about it and, and, and was kind of aggressive, that's, you know, I'd be like Childs. But if I was on the opposite end of the spectrum, that's more like windows. Who's like, I'm just like, I'm getting as far away from what's happening as possible. I'm, you know, you know, stick them, keeping my neck down. Like, you know, so it's, and, uh, Nalls in this scene is very much like the kind of on the same side as Windows, like he's kind of that quiet, but like you know that look over at those bodies definitely sells. You know how kind of frightening the situation is, even even without monsters entering the mix. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all he did was to sign up to be a cook at an Antarctic research station, right. and now he might end up being either possessed by a monster or you know, a slab, uh, a corpse on a pool table. Like, man, talk about this is a bad gig, man. <laughs> All right. See a glacier. They said, you know, cook a few meals. They said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I get, I get to bring my roller skates, my Stevie wonder eight tracks. And so it's going to be a good time. All right. This is probably like an internship for him. Like this is not, not how this is supposed to go down for him. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, after we test, um, Clark's blood. And of course nothing happens. Then McCready looks really like, oh, geez, like maybe this test, like you can tell he even he's starting to maybe doubt the test uh, or, or, you know, doubt himself, like that he doesn't know if what's actually happening because he was so sure about it. And then nothing happens again for the fourth time in a row. Like, uh, you know, you can tell he's pretty nervous about it. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, Childs, you know, doesn't he throws some fire onto the uh, situation, too, just tells him that, uh, you know, that makes him a murderer, which I don't know if that's necessarily true. But, uh, you know, if I was Childs, I might say the same thing. <laughs> I would say it's self-defense. I mean, right. he was going after him with a knife. I don't know. I don't, I think murderer is a little bit of a, of a, a tough term, But of course, but as we know, he's definitely trying to get under McCready's skin anyway. So Right, right. Yeah. I mean, this and again, this is something that Childs does through the entire movie. Him and him and uh, McCready definitely have this kind of antagonistic relationship, um, which plays plays really well it always makes me wonder you know i feel like with just a few tweaks you could make this movie with childs as the lead and it would be it would be pretty interesting and might might play just as well as it does with mccready he's he's kind of like the uh i don't know he's like the more the less loner loner type than a mccready version of mccready <laughs> like they, they have a lot in common they're, they're pretty interesting kind of uh especially given how the movie ends they're pretty interesting kind of ends of the spectrum i guess it would be interesting to see what this movie would be like with someone not so even-tempered in charge. <laughs> right. So McCready ignores uh, Childs, you know, trying to kind of get under his skin, like you said. And, um, oh, and, I, and we didn't mention that when, we, when he tests uh, Clark's blood, 
He's the 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 fake hand prosthetic is already in place. I I'm glad you brought that up. This is this is the this is like um this is like my second favorite moment in the in the movie. There's another scene a bunch of minutes ago that's my favorite. But this is and this is the kind of thing that makes me so impressed by John Carpenter because I never noticed this fake hand no. until Carpenter pointed it out in the commentary track. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we all know we I think we all we obviously all appreciate John Carpenter for the brilliant you know, creative person that he is. But like you think about what it makes, what makes like a great director, you know, presumably it's like somebody with an ability to frame a a shot, uh, an ability to get good performances out of their actors, a person that knows how to tell a story. And it's like, there's so many parts of it. And like the idea that Carpenter knew to put in the fake hand when it wasn't needed and then cut away. So when you cut back, you're not thrown by the fake hand because you've already seen it. Mm-hmm. And he knew instinctively that the audience, that's how an audience would react. That if you see the fake hand for the first time and it does nothing, you just dismiss it. So right. when it pops up the second time, you're like, whoa. And it's like, that takes a really brilliant person to figure out that like, you almost have to be like a psychologist <laughs> to know that about humans, about how humans are going to react. And I, I, all the dozens of times I've seen the thing, I never noticed when the whammy hand shows up until Carpenter pointed it out. Yeah. And now I can't unsee it. But I'm just so impressed by that, that he could know how to do that. You know, I, I'm just I, I'm just like, that's that's so great. He's such a good director. They knew how to make this effect work. Yeah, it's a brilliant, brilliant move and something I would never have even thought about doing. Um, just because, you know, why, why put the effect in when you don't need it? Right. right exactly. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it works perfectly because this is such an incredibly tense scene. And, you know, I, I think obviously he understood how important it was to make that when it actually attacks to make that, you know, a, a complete shock and surprise and to be able to sell that so perfectly by, by setting up the prosthetic early is just such a brilliant move. And yeah, I, I wonder, I'd, I'd be curious to know, to be on set and know, you know, uh, who who contributed that idea exactly? Uh, which you know whether it was Carpenter or Cundy or, or Rob Bottin or some some combination of the three where they decided to do that. But it is it's such a subtle thing, but I think it's a really really important part to selling why this effect works as well as it does. Yeah, I mean the hand is always in the same position on screen, and so when and and we, again when we first see it um, at that point, McCready's talking and he's looking off screen, so we're looking at Kurt Russell's face because of course we are. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not. Why would we? Why would we be looking at the hand which we've seen in the same previous four shots with no change? There's nothing to look at there. So yeah, I, I this this is one of these things where I'm like. There are people who I know don't want to see this movie because they hear it so gory and they hear it so kind of downbeat. But I'm like, to me, like this is just like a masterclass in how to compose a movie, you know, how to get the most out of the effect of what you're trying to do. And, you know, again, you think about it, it's just like a prop hand, you know, like it's, yeah. there's no CGI, it didn't cost $50 million. It's just a fake hand with some stuff in it. It's just beautifully done. Yeah, it's it, it you you're absolutely right. This film is a is a total masterclass in in editing and cinematography and the setup for suspense and you know how to how to pace the story. There's so many things you can kind of study this movie for and really get a lot out of it. But yeah, just a the combination of a a really genuine, really believable practical effect with the way it's edited, with using that hand, you know, setting the the fake hand up early and with all the 
tests that go wrong before this. Like everything is just absolutely perfect leading up to this moment. It's such, it's so impressive and and always, always something that I find something new to appreciate about every time I watch it for sure. Yeah. And I love that uh, there's the cutaway to David Clennon mm-hmm. and he has that slight smile on his face. And of course, we now know what that means because it's like to him. He's like, well, the jig's up. <laughs> like He knows what's about to happen. Uh, he just kind of has this quesarasara look on his face. It's so great. It's such a funny it, it always kind of it almost makes me laugh sometimes seeing it because it is it's almost like an aw shucks kind of look. He's just he gives that weird little smirk and kind of like, you know, rolls his eyes a little bit like, oh, well, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Like he just totally he knows what's about to happen, and again he looks so much more ominous than the other guys. Uh, you know, in hindsight, he looks it looks so obvious that something you know that his test is going to be the one that goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's so it's so. And again, I have to wonder like, what's the thing's game plan here? I guess the thing is just like because he's been tied up all this time. I mean, I don't know why didn't he. Why didn't he attack earlier? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I never get into the thing's head, luckily. Uh, but you got to wonder, like, why he just didn't try and get McCready earlier as opposed to waiting through this whole process, which he knew was coming. Sure. Well, I mean, maybe, I mean, I guess it could be, you know, possibly, that you know, the test has failed four times. Maybe the thing doesn't even know whether the test is going to work or not. That's true. Um, but even so, I mean, maybe he's waiting. He knows that the surprise of what's going to happen when his blood does react might throw everybody into, you know, might knock McCready off his feet, which it does, um, you know, maybe give him a better chance to attack. So I don't know. It is interesting to think about. For, it's always interesting to think about what the thing's motivations are, but it's it's always kind of a, a vague mystery. Yeah. Um, but, you know, another thing contributing to setting up the the suspense here and making you not think anything's going to happen with uh, with Palmer's blood is that, um, Gary says, uh, this is pure nonsense. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just great because he's so, he's like, you know, Childs we know has been, is always kind of dismissive and, you know, voodoo bullshit and all that. But to hear Gary do it too, it's like, all right, you know, maybe, maybe he's right. Like maybe this test is just nonsense and nothing's actually going to happen. So, you know, and of course McCready doubles down and he's like, all right, Gary, like, you know, I'm glad you said that because you're suspicious. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, it's almost like a little like playground thing. He's like, he he turns it right back around on Gary, and it's like, uh, which you know, and he says, "We'll do you last," because he thinks that he was. He says, "You're the only person who could have gotten to that blood," which is not true. We know that Copper also could have gotten to that blood, but you know, wh- why do him last then? Again, I don't understand McCready's logic for why he's kind of. It's like he's a. It's like he's a reality TV host, and he's like, uh, "We'll test uh, Gary right after this," you know. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I think if I really suspected Gary that much, I would do him first. You would definitely want to get that out of the way, right? <laughs> Gary's eyebrows definitely suggest to me that he is otherworldly. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I, I, I think at that point that he, McCready is assuming that everyone else is safe and he's kind of like almost trying to get everybody on his side against That's Gary. That's a good point. Like maybe, you know, uh, I guess he's the only people he's tested have been Windows and two dead guys. Uh, but. Right. You know, I, I guess he's thinking if he tests anybody else, he can untie them and and they can you know help him, you know hold a fl- hold a flamethrower to whoever else is left. So right. yeah, I guess right. that that's true. That's a that's a pretty solid uh, solid method there. I guess. <laughs> I've, I've had time to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it a couple times. You thought about it a little times. bit. So uh, so then of course the moment comes, and uh, you know exactly like with Clark, we we see the prosthetic hand and everything. And, uh, you know, McCready says, uh, we'll do you last. And then he dips the needle down and uh, immediately this 
nasty looking like I don't even know what it is. It's almost like a claw. Like I wonder if it, it's a it's a reused uh, prop. Like it looks a little bit like um, one of the claws that comes out of the dog early on, except the claw is like closed up, you know, like, into like a, a fist or a ball. It's just like this nasty. Yeah, it's not a blood spurt, right? Yeah, it's just like this nasty like mess of bone or or sinew or something that just bursts out and screams, and it's it's. You know, it's one of the uh, one of the best moments of the movie, to be sure. Oh, yeah. And I love as soon as it happens that McCready for at least half a second just backs up, just stunned. Like, you know, even he's still capable of being flummoxed, you know, for a moment. And we saw <laughs> earlier the thing with the, the, the head, you know, the spider head, even that there's a moment of, of him there where he's just like completely nonplussed as to what's what's happening. But I like that. I like that McCready. I mean, he. I guess what makes him the hero is that he collects himself faster than anybody else. Right. But, but nevertheless, we see when we have that wide shot of everybody tied up and they're all looking down on the floor, McCready just for one second is just kind of like, Whoa, ha, 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 ha. right. And, you know, that's great. I think that's, a, you know, it makes, it makes McCready that much more, you know, human, no pun intended is that, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's as shocked that this is anybody I think that's it's a great little bit of, bit of detail. And again, I don't know if that's Carpenter or Russell or combination of the two, but it's a it's a nice little touch. Sure, and it's a it's one of the moments in the movie that separates McCready from another character like Snake Plissken, who you know is like you know a hundred percent hard as nails and superhumanly right. tough. But McCready is definitely still a human being who freaks out just as much as any of us in real life might if this happened. <laughs> if you want to draw a straight, if you want to you want to draw a line of competence, there's a straight line down from Snake Plissken to McCready to Jack Burton. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, there's definitely, that's like the uh, the spectrum of Kurt Russell, John Carpenter characters. <laughs> <laughs> he, just gets, he just gets less and less prepared each movie as they go on. <laughs> so um, I did want to mention that uh, the the scream that the blood makes as it jumps out, uh, I don't know if I 100% believe this as a sound person. It's a little hard to believe. But um, David Udall, the sound supervisor who is uh, actually just recently passed away but is a, was a legend in the, in the sound community uh, for doing some incredible work, he says that the scream that the blood makes is a un, completely unprocessed scream of his own, that he screamed in that way and that it's not affected or anything. I have a hard time believing that it's no, not at least pitched on. up or something. Cause I don't even know how a human could make that noise. It's so like, it's such a screech. It's such a, like, it's almost like a bird or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe if like somebody kicked you right in the nards or something, why would you subject yourself <laughs> to that? I mean, maybe for your heart, but I don't know. Yeah. I think that, that sounds a little phony, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I do no, love that. I don't aspersions on the man, but uh, yeah, right. that sounds a little I, I do love that, whether it's 100% true or partially true. I love to think that uh, that David Udall's voice lives on as the, the blood monster jumping out uh, his little girlish, screechy scream. <laughs> Just, in a, he was in a boot somewhere doing 100 of those. Wee, right. Wee. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd love to know exactly how he, uh, how he pulled that off. But um, yeah, so McCready just throws everything up in the air he drops the the uh the petri dish which is another you know this is another thing for practical effects if this was in uh you know if this movie was made now of course we'd have a cgi thing still kind of crawling out of the petri dish as he drops it but the cut is so quick you know if you if you watch it frame by frame of course there's nothing in the petri dish and of course that arm that pops out never even shows up again actually i never even thought about that but you know, after this point, it's just the blood and then Palmer. But that that little arm just kind of disappears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's probably crawled under the couch or something, and nobody knows where it is at the moment. 
Right. That's our that's our now. Um, you know, there's at every every point when there's a transformation in this movie, there's some little thing that you could that you could easily make a conspiracy theory about that that little piece got away, and that's how Blair got infected, or that's how uh, <laughs> that's how Childs is infected in the end is that little piece that somehow got away that we don't know about. <laughs> yeah, it it just waits under one of the board games, and then it just grabs nulls when nobody's looking. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so he drops the Petri dish and then we get this great shot that I think is one of the creepiest kind of, you know, un, uh, unnerving things is the blood that's spilled on the floor starts moving on its oh, own. Great. And, the, and it all moves in the same direction like it's, you know, and, and is making these creepy little noises like, you know, you definitely like I, I wonder if, uh, you know, Carpenter read the script and he's like, OK, so sentient blood, sentient blood. <laughs> like, how, like, how am I going to show this? Like, I don't. I don't think I. I could immediately think of a way to uh, to visually represent that. But this this absolutely sells it. Like you know exactly what's happening there. Yeah. Oh, it's. Look. I mean, I, I first thought. You know. Well, it must be a pretty simple effect because you just take the the floor and then you tilt it. You know, mm-hmm. and that makes the blood run. But that isn't exactly because the blood. Some of the blood like goes on a curve. Yeah. So it it really suggests some level of sentience. You know, which is which, as you said, is really, really creepy that all these little corpuscles all have a mind of their own and they all need to get back to mom or whatever they need to do. Or they or at the very least, they need to just get out of the way, get out of harm's way. It is, again, such a simple shot, probably cost them five bucks to do. Right. Really effective. Yeah. And you're right. The way it does kind of curve does make it makes it seem less just like a, an obvious effect a, a, and more like there's that blood is moving on its own. It has a mind of its own. It's a, it's a yeah. pretty very convincing effect. And it's uh yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about like just, you know, obviously things get really insane in a minute here, but uh, you know, if, if, if we had a minute to meditate on this little bit, you, it's a pretty scary thing to think about that. Even the blood like literally has a mind of its own and could move around and attack you. Like, you know, at that point, I'd be like, all right, I give up. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I, have any idea how to combat this thing at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I we, we talked about in a, in a previous episode, like what what character we would be if we were in the situation. And like I, I part of me thinks I would be Clark, as you said, like a lot of podcasters like that. But I think I would be Norris because Norris has the moment where he's like, I, I'm sorry, fellas, I'm not up to it. <laughs> I'm like, that's me. Yeah, totally. That's totally me. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it, you know, the movie, the stakes just keep getting higher and higher, and the like, the um, the cleverness of the creature in how it starts to trick people and kind of lay traps, and that you know, now we know that every part of it has its own being. Like, it's at a certain point, it's just like, yeah, I don't think we're, I don't think we're gonna make it. <laughs> nope. Uh, I did want to mention that the uh, the sound that the blood makes while it's moving across the ground is uh, it's a great little effect. Uh, another thing that David Udall did is um. It's in a he's in a shower and he's rubbing his hand on the wall that's all like soap scummy and making those <laughs> little squeaky noises, which is so great because once you know that it's hard to unhear that. But uh, but yeah, that's totally what that sound is like, m- maybe even unprocessed, like there might be some kind of little, you know, effect on it to make it sound a little bit more alien. But that's definitely what that sound is once you know it. <laughs> Man, these these sound guys of like the seventies and eighties. This guy, this guy, and like Ben Burt. Man, these those guys are just geniuses. <laughs> you know, like just geniuses. Oh yeah, C- certainly some of my my idols for sure. <laughs> I would imagine so. Yeah, so this this minute kind of wraps up with a uh, the, the blood moves across the floor, and then we get a very very quick shot of a uh, of Palmer uh, kind of uh, 
I don't know, vibrating on the couch there. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and while the rest of them are freaking out, obviously. <laughs> I would not want to be Gary in this scenario. No, Gary certainly, he gets the short end of the stick in a lot of places in this movie, but this is certainly the worst, I think, that he gets it. And, and it, gets, yes. it only gets worse in tomorrow's minute. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's everything I had uh, in my notes. Do you have anything else you wanted to to mention? Uh, no, I think no. I, I'm, I'm just I want to thank you for giving me this minute because this whole sequence is amazing. But this that 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 whammy hand is just I I, I always just I don't know. Like God bless you, John Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things like like the uh, like the gleam trick, gleam in the eye trick. It's one of those things that once you see it, it's like. You know, I can't help but smile every time I come across this part because even as, as tense as the scene is, I can't help but just kind of sit back and appreciate how how amazing it is put together. Truly. So, um, yes, I think that'll wrap up uh, minute 83. But uh, make sure you check us out on iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you like the show, you can rate and review us in iTunes as well. Even if you don't use iTunes, it's probably the most popular platform for podcasting. So, uh, you know, if you can go on there and just leave us a little rating and review, that makes a big difference. So we appreciate everybody who's done that. If, uh, you know, if you know any other thing, fans, definitely spread the word and, and let them know about it so they can come check, uh, check the podcast out. But most importantly, don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of The Thing Minutes. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper, signing out.